Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity Life. If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that life is unpredictable, which is why you need to work with a partner that's flexible and loves to collaborate, one that will personalize the claims experience for your clients, one with a balanced approach to underwriting, and one with a competitive and sustainable pricing. Integrity, your partner for life. If you want to learn more about how Integrity is your partner for life, head to integritylife.com.au forward slash xy. Hello and thanks for listening to another edition of the XY Advisor podcast. I'm your host, Fraser Jack, and I'm sitting here or via Zoom, obviously, with uh, Ben Brett. Welcome. Hello, Fraser. How are you, mate? Fantastic to chat to you again. Good to uh, good to see you. Now, you're in uh, Brisbane, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Sitting you're in the Gold Coast, right? Yeah. Yes, I'm in the Gold Coast, yeah. So we're, yeah. we're at least, you know, uh, half an hour's drive, maybe an hour's drive away. The Sunshine State, mate. The Sunshine State. That's where it's all happening. But uh, do you want to give the listeners a quick overview of you and your business? Yeah, so my name is Ben Brett. I'm a financial planner with Bounce Financial. Um, Bounce Financial is a business that I own with my wife and business partner, Cara Brett. Um, we specialize in providing advice to professional families who have bought their first home and they're kind of wondering what they need to do next. That's really our space that we think we add the most value. Yeah, now we've sort of talked about this on previous podcasts and I know Cara's been on the XY Advisor podcast, but um, for those that aren't across that story, now you started that business up, um, but in a really interesting way, as in, you know, you both wanted to start it, you both wanted to be in it, but you stayed in your existing career. Yeah, yeah. So the business has been going for about seven years now. Um, When we decided we wanted to start the business, Cara and I uh, decided it together. Um, At the time, I was a lawyer. I was working in financial services. She was working in more of a a financial advice-like role. Um, And yeah, we decided to start the business together. And the way we launched it is Cara started it and I continued working in my previous role. Um, And then eventually, as we grew it and it got bigger, I was able to join the business. And now we, uh, we operate it together. Yeah, amazing. And you also started it off the groundswell of content. Uh, You spent a lot of time creating blogs and uh, and having opinions out there and and creating a bit of a groundswell of people following. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely have an opinion that financial advice is largely about uh, language. It's largely about finding your voice and finding a voice that resonates with your particular target market. So when we launched the business, well, before we launched the business and whilst we were sort of in a saving mode in preparation for it, uh, the first thing we did is we launched a blog. Uh, just so we can really practice that uh, process of using our voice, explaining difficult concepts, simplifying them. Um, and we sort of leveraged that to have a mailing list and whatnot to then launch our business. So hopefully we weren't starting from a from absolutely zero. We had a little bit of momentum from day one. Yeah, certainly the modern way of building a business. Fantastic. Now, that's probably a really good segue into what you're doing now. Uh, And I've noticed one of the things that you recently launched is a podcast. That's correct. Yes. So um, I was saying, Fraser, that I blame you for launching this podcast. You've uh, you've, uh, put out a lot of really great content that helps financial advisors understand how to launch podcasts. And I think I read a blog post from you recently and it just sort of removed all excuses as to why I, I shouldn't launch a podcast sort of thing. So uh, yeah, we launched it a couple of weeks ago. 
um, getting a bit of traction on it now. And um, we've got a lot of episodes lined up um, that will be coming out over the next sort of couple of months. Yeah, fantastic. Now, like any uh, any launching of any new media content, you know, strategy, whether it's blogs or whatever it might be, it's sort of all these things take time. They snowball over time. But I really like the idea that you ran out of excuses not to. <laughs> well, we've, we've always been very content focused, right? So we're, we're very um, prevalent on social media. Um, we do blog posts regularly. Um, we put out different, we've, we've experimented with video and doing a bit of video content. And I think for, for a while, I was a bit concerned about spreading ourselves too thin by moving into the podcast space. Um, but we really just had a lot of stories we wanted to tell. And podcast is such a good forum to do so. Um, and we really felt that I don't know. I feel like we can add value in this space. Um, I think there's still a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. Now, just while we're on podcasts, there is a lot of, you know, financial podcasts around at the moment, and they can cop some hard time from from people in the industry or in the profession that say, you know, is this advice? Is it not advice? Is it general? How does this all fit? Um, yes. And, you know, I know we've both got stories on that we've heard, you know, both horror stories and, and, and information around this. Um, talk to me about that whole concept of, you know, people learning financial concepts or, or getting a, a base of information from podcasts. Yes. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, like we've seen uh, podcasts aren't, I guess, the first thing I've sort of seen that has driven people to be really interested in their finances, right? Like before it was books and largely the Barefoot Investor, right? Like most of my clients had read the Barefoot Investor and it had driven them to make changes to their finances and then seek out advice. And what I'm seeing now is that that, that movement from books onto podcasts because they're so easily consumable. Um, and I'm actually finding that it is really driving a lot of people towards financial advice. It's a really, really positive thing for our industry. I've seen some commentary from uh, the odd advisor saying, you know, this is, this is outrageous. You shouldn't be doing this. You know, you're giving out advice. This, and, and honestly, if, if you're concerned that, you know, you're not going to get clients because they're just going to learn everything from a podcast and, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure you're offering enough value to, to justify having a business. Um, you know, clients are always going to want to seek out that person to help them, to help them understand even, even you know, podcasts are so consumable and so great, uh, but there's still a lot of content that they have to work through and think about and how it applies to their personal circumstance. So um, I definitely don't see podcasts as a threat. I see them as a massive boom to our industry. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, um, the, the, you know, as consumers get the get a little bit of confidence off the back of that information. Um, And obviously I see podcasts as long form content as sort of the health digestible health food rather than a flashy ad, you know, full of sugar. Um, And it's a way of bringing people in, in that nice, slow and steady, um, you know, role rather than just, you know, just reaching out to people and saying, Hey, financial advice provides value to you. Get in there and do it now. Yes. Yeah. And, and, engaging a financial advisor is very much a leap of faith. A lot of the time you don't really know what you're going to get from it. Um, and, you know, every financial advisor does things differently too. So it's very challenging to start from zero and go, okay, well, I'm going to pay this and expect that, you know, I'll get value from it. So having these bite-sized chunks of, well, these are the sorts of things that financial advisors do and think about, then it allows you to kind of meet them at a, at a better place where they are more more open to these concepts. Yeah, I also find that, um, you know, my theory around developing relationships with people online is is a very much about the consistency and regularity of doing stuff and, and seeing something over here and listening to that over there and just getting to digest the way that person thinks and feels and their philosophies and beliefs 
over a longer period of time. Uh, it's very easy when you meet somebody because you know you're standing inside their personal space. You shake hands, or it might be if you're allowed to, if you're not social distancing, um, and <laughs> you get that you get that proximity conversation where you know you've met them. They're in front of you. They didn't kill you, so therefore they're a bit more trustworthy. And you start to gain trust faster in real life, but online. Yeah. You really need to make sure you've got that longevity and consistency. Yeah, and, and there's a level of familiarity, I guess, that you experience with someone you listen on a podcast. And, you know, I would almost express it with you. Like, I've heard enough podcasts now that I probably feel I know you better than you know me. Because <laughs> you do get to kind of know their personality a little bit, right? Like, you've seen it with other people. It's like being part of a group conversation. So Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So there you go. So there's obviously a lot of uh, podcasts, and and where can you see that going? I mean, I I, I personally, I've got an opinion. I think it's going to continue. A lot of financial advisors should and will be producing podcasts. Yeah. So for my podcast in particular, so the, just to to plug it, it's called Money Chats with Bounce Financial. If anyone wants to look it up, um, what we were trying to achieve with it. So a lot of the podcasts I think that are succeeding at the moment, they're very much geared towards very young people, like people in their twenties that are really trying to get things going. Um, so I guess in in identifying where we wanted to space ourselves, we were kind of going well. Where is there a gap? Maybe people that are in their thirties and forties, and maybe savings isn't as important to them. It's always an important part of any plan, but what's really challenging them is they're time poor. They're trying to find professionals that can help them like mortgage brokers, lawyers, um, and they don't know about what they're doing sort of thing. So we're kind of aiming ourselves towards that. Um, I've set it up as a season one scenario. So I, I love the idea that I can just close season one at any time I want and, and never return to it if it's not really what we want to do, but I'm really enjoying it so far. So who knows? It might keep going. Yeah, this is that's really interesting. You're absolutely right. You know, we've got you know my millennial money, and she's on the money, and there's a lot of really popular podcasts out there. But it's you, you again. You're right. It's sort of that demographic of um, the entry or beginner level. If you're pitching yes. towards people who then want to be clients and want to have you know money chats or start having serious adulting conversations, then I think it's yeah. probably a great way to pitch it. I, you know, we went to um, FinCon in the US. The um, the I think you've been there. The the conference that happens there, and we sort of we heard from a lot of different podcasters and the way they talked about it is you know some podcasts the focus of them is to be just a podcast right like that it has such a big audience that it carries itself as a podcast and that's that's the product um you know but there's also the potential for other podcasts that have really micro niche audiences like perhaps you know our audience might be just literally 30% of our clients and a few extra people that's great if you can have that voice to 30% of your clients with you know outputting in you know 30 different meetings than or, you know whatever your client numbers are but um yeah there could be a lot of value there yeah i agree i think that your clients should be the number one um avatar if you like of your uh, of your podcast and you know even if you get yeah. 10 new people listening to your podcast and that becomes 10 new clients that's still that's good you know you don't need ten thousand people listening no exactly We've also um, spoken about the concept of not just podcasts, right? Other types of of media and um, uh, and influences in a way, uh, in yes. particular things like uh, the TikTok influences. Uh, let's let's open up that can of worms. I am loving watching TikTok influences. I am really it, it's so fascinating. Um, you know, these new social media things pop up and then suddenly there's just this, this bevy of people which are out there sort of, 
you know, doing their thing. And, and I've definitely seen, I think I follow like a Twitter account that highlights some of the worst of them, like some of the, the ones where they're like, invest in this share and you'll make a thousand times um, your, your, your return. And I'm definitely seeing, like, it's a bit of a weird time for markets. I'm definitely seeing a lot of commentary that's like, oh, this is a hundred bagger or something like that to indicate that it's going to a hundred times itself. And that there's some pretty intense promises that are going on in this, uh, this intense market. So um yeah, I'm enjoying watching this. Yeah, there's a big difference, obviously, between uh, you know podcasts talking um, confidence and you know giving a bit of background, and then and then flogging a, a product off the back of some unlicensed financial <laughs> advice. Because a- I, don't get me wrong, it's terrible advice. Like, <laughs> I, I find it interesting from a human perspective. It's like this is these things pop up, and you know, I come from a legal background too, so I think about regulation and how you go about regulating and. Jeez, it's a challenge when these things pop up and, you know, like ASIC can't be watching every TikTok channel and, and making sure everyone's complying with the putting a disclaimer in there and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting space to watch. It will be. And obviously, it's, we're not the first, you know, uh, industry or profession for this to happen. There's things like the you know, the taxi industry, obviously, is, a, is one that jumps to mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking to someone recently about this, about the concept of the taxi industry versus Uber, right? Um, I kind of have this theory that financial advice has a risk of becoming the taxi industry, right? Like the taxi industry started as a normal industry and every time something went wrong, there was calls and demands that it be changed. So, you know, there, if something bad happened, there was, okay, well, we need a camera in every taxi. So every taxi had to go and then put a camera in or, um, you know, if a, a vehicle crashed or something, then, okay, every taxi needs to be reviewed every single year. And this just kept piling on and on and on. And I think, you know, this story of this taxi industry is very familiar to financial advisors that are going, yes, there were people that perhaps did the wrong thing and we're all trying to now meet all these needs, right? And as the taxi industry found out pretty quickly, when Uber popped up, you know, they kind of expected that those regulators that had been so hard on them would crush Uber, would say, look, you can't do this. This These are the rules and you have to follow them. But we all know how that story ended up, that Uber now exists and it's now prospering. So I think, um, you know, the financial advice industry has a lot to learn from that experience and that we need to be very conscious of Uber that is appearing in the financial. And, you know, we're seeing this with these influences. We're seeing um, unlicensed advice pop up. We're seeing um, the evolution of wealth coaching, which is, you know, not to be lumped in with unlicensed. I think wealth coaching is actually a really exciting and and great area to move in. Um, But it's something to be very conscious of with financial advisors that if we are over-regulated and people can get their needs net, uh, needs needs met sorry at a uh, better price point that we may go the way of the taxi industry yeah i also um like to come back to the idea that you're right you know with the unlicensed financial advice but when i think about what a planner a financial planner a financial advisor does yeah throughout you know their client facing time there is so much of it that's not financial product advice right especially with reviews and meetings and just there is so much of it that could be you know some form of um you know, helping somebody overcome a fear of something or, you know, educating people about stuff, talking about strategies and how they work. Um, the whole coaching piece, as you said, not just not just cash flow coaching, but actual coaching as in asking people yes. really good questions and then getting them to come to the realization that they have the answer inside their head and it's their answer. So they're more likely to actually take note and do that. 
um, setting goals, you know, um, the, the, the strategies and the planning part, all of that takes place in a, in a client advice relationship and only the, yes. we, yet we go, oh, it's just the advice that makes a difference. And, and yet we all know it's the implementation of the advice that makes a difference, not the actual advice. Um, yes. So there's, there is a big part of, and I think we get this regulation so much, so crammed in just around that one little part of the process that that part of the process is the bottleneck. Yeah, it's, I think about this regularly that I could nearly do 90% of what I do unlicensed, right? Like all that goals development, all that cash flow, even investment. You know, like um, I'm seeing a lot of people pop up essentially instead of focusing on, say, um, shares and whatnot, they just simply focus on residential investment properties. That's the investment they've chosen because it's unregulated. You know, they ignore the super aspect and whatnot. But it's amazing how much you can actually do before you start getting into this area where you're actually providing financial advice according to the law. Um, so there's a real risk that people will start to do that. And I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I'm having clients um, that have seen perhaps other people who are unlicensed, who are providing nearly a service that's very similar to, I guess, the service I'm providing from their perspective, um, but they're not qualified financial advisors. And many instances, they've got issues with conflicts of, you know, receiving kickbacks from property developers or, you know, like there's a lot of all these things that we're trying to crush out of the financial advice industry are popping up in this unlicensed area. So, Yeah, I can definitely see the analogy between the Uber drivers and the, and the tax industry when you, every time you say that, yes. it's like, yeah, it completely makes sense. Yeah. Um, and this, this, of course, brings the, you know, the, the ease of, somebody being able to invest as well, you know, like people can invest in property without having to see, you know, t- too many professionals really. Um, yes. People can invest in, you know, they can go online and create an account and start, you know, putting money into an ETF. So you can download an app and do all these other things. You know, I think that, you know, we've had a conversation before around the, the gatekeeper, the idea of the advisor being the gatekeeper um, yes. is being, you know, diminished. Yes. Oh, for sure. I, I think, I mean, the role of the advisor has been changing rapidly. I mean, we, we know this, we've talked about this, right? Like in the past, it used to be that you couldn't access investment markets, you couldn't access insurance options, you couldn't do anything you needed to go through an advisor. Um, and simply being that gatekeeper gave us the ability to be able to add value, charge a fee for it, etc. More and more, I'm seeing clients that are coming to me with their own set of investments. They're coming to me with all these things they've set up completely unadvised. Um, and you know, no longer are they saying, well, we don't know about investing. We've got to, we, we need you to, to tell us, should we even start doing it? They're saying, well, I have these and I don't understand what I'm doing and I'm not sure where my direction is. I need someone to help me plan where I'm going. Um, so yeah, it's interesting watching it change. I was talking last night, we, we did a presentation last night and we we're talking about just the ease of access of these investments. And how, you know, you can sell all your investments at 3 a.m. in the morning on your app when you're having a freak out. Um, that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. And I think that can cause a lot of problems for people. And we're going to start to see, you know, markets are really rising right now, uh, but they will come down. They always do. And when they do, I think we're going to see a lot of sort of panicked behavior. Yeah. The old um, toilet paper uh, purchasing behavior. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. That that was actually not one I expected to see as panicked behaviour when we had a uh, virus. But um, yeah, apparently toilet paper was the thing we needed to get. It turns out that's how humans behave. 
<laughs> that was fascinating to watch. That was a very, like, I think that speaks a lot to um, how humans behave, that we do try to seek out these things that are easily controllable, but aren't necessarily related to the problem at hand. Yeah, 100%. It's all about making emotional decisions, right? Which is just talked about selling your, um, selling when at three o'clock in the morning when nothing's open and you're, and you're feeling vulnerable. Yeah. Um, so I've got a bit of a theory on this too, around the idea that um, financial advice is, pretty much a prestige commodity, right? So every okay. every single market has at least 10% of the market will um, pay up to 10 times the price for that prestige hand. It's why we have first-class airline flights and Prada handbags and, you know, sports cars. So, yes. you know, there, there's always somebody in the market that wants to, for an emotional reason within their own head, it might be yes. to look good or to feel good or to whatever, right, um, to pay 10 times the odd. And I've got this theory that, well, the financial advice industry is that prestige end, right? Yeah. And that's why we have like 10, 10 to 15% of the population actually engages with it because that's the stats, right? That's the odds. Yeah. And so uh, when we talk about that unlicensed advice area and, um, you know, the, the, the podcast area and the, and the coaching area, to me that's the 80% of the market because I always put, you know, think of the bell curve with 10% of the other end never never doing anything anyway and 10% of the yeah. doing financial advice and the 80% in the middle – that's where they're starting. And so but that's why people are coming to you with a portfolio of stuff that they've picked up along the way. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see a point that financial advice is a prestige thing, right? Like there's a large cost to it and you need to be in a, probably a relatively okay financial position to really justify it, right? I think the difference if, say, you were comparing it to like an airline or a first-class airline, you don't need to participate in flying. You know, that's a choice. Um, you know, other things that you're buying that are prestige, a lot of the time they're not, you know, they're things that you're choosing. Unfortunately, everyone needs to deal with their money. Everyone's now responsible for their own retirement when it comes to dealing with their superannuation. Everyone's responsible for their own insurances if something goes wrong. Um, it it kind of like, it's, it's not like, I understand why it's a prestige market, but it's kind of a terrible outcome that it is <laughs> that only wealthy people can afford financial advice because everyone needs some guidance to, to assist with that. Yeah, I agree that everyone needs it. I'm just, I just sometimes think that, um, you know, like when it comes to, <laughs> I remember you used to saying like accountants, have, uh, I've got this um, luxury of having a, a legislated need every year to go and do your tax return. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? And so it's very easy to, it's very hard to ignore that, whereas it's very easy to ignore, oh, wait, I'll push my finances down the, you know, down the track because I've got other things yeah. to think about right now, like, you know, doing this thing or doing that thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, bringing it back full circle, I guess that's why I love that, and, and, you know, like that there's good podcasts out there, like My Millennial Money, She's on the Money, that are at least giving something tangible for people to, to do if they can't afford financial advice. Um, you know, like we, we've definitely toyed with the idea of doing a course or something similar, not necessarily because we think it's going to be a big money maker, but because it would just be amazing to have something to point to to say, look, Maybe you can't afford our service right now. It doesn't suit where you're at in your life, but at least this is something you can do. Um, and right now, I really do just refer people on the podcast. That sort of their part, but it is a it's a challenge. You've got to put in a lot of work to to learn these things, right? Yeah. Well, now you get them onto your own podcast. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I got to remember to promote that and not just other people's podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Now, your background, uh, as you mentioned earlier, was, uh, you know, illegal uh, as a lawyer. And um, yes. uh, we've had a conversation before around the idea of um, 
being really diligent and building out your networks as a financial advisor and, and, and gaining relationships of other professionals. Let's, uh, yes. let's chat about that. Yeah, so like we've always kind of worked on the assumption that our role as a financial advisor isn't just to give good financial advice, right? It's to help people navigate life's big financial transitions. Uh, you know, as you get older, you do things like have kids, buy houses, renovate and things like that. And so in those processes, you need to engage different people. And I think a lot of the value of a financial advisor can be in being that trusted person to go, hey, you need this professional in this circumstance. This is what they do. Um, let me introduce you to that person so you can do it. Um, I think also there's like a ton of value in being the person that connects those professionals. I'm coming across a lot of different clients lately that perhaps have an accountant, they have a lawyer, they have a this, um, and they're all not talking to each other. And you just, you're starting to unpick the, the whole picture and you're like, this is not working. This is not going together. So bringing those together, I think can be super valuable. Um, this is a bit of a reason to why we, we launched the podcast. So, you know, the podcast, we talk about, I guess, how we provide financial advice. But one thing we actually do is we interview different professionals about what they do and what, you know, ask the questions that either people are embarrassed to ask or they're unsure about, you know, basic things like, why would I use you? Why wouldn't I just do this myself? How much does this cost? How does this charge? Um, I think that's a really valuable service that a lot of clients are looking for. Yeah, I was just about to ask you exactly how you do it. And I think the podcast is the perfect solution there. We can have those conversations. Um, how do you do that with a client like that comes to you and they've got all these other people that aren't talking to each other? How do you then bring that together? What, what, what's your process around that? So, I mean, the way we usually go about it is seeking advice to speak to that professional if we can. Um, you know, that can be a challenge at times. I've, I've found some professionals are better than others in terms of being willing to cooperate. I think there's sometimes there's fears that, you know, like maybe in the accounting space that you're going to judge the, the way they've gone about something or whatnot. So you really need to, I guess, uh, make it abundantly clear that you're there to support them, that you're not going to try to make them look bad, that, you know, you want to work as a team to just get the best outcome for the client. Um, and, you know, we don't have an accounting or legal part of our business or anything like that. So we're not looking to to take the client or anything like that. So just kind of making that clear to them. Um, I think, you know, as a financial advisor, having an understanding of what those professionals do, you know, like understanding accounting structures, understanding wills, powers of attorney, how they work, like what the benefits are, learning these things for yourself can, can really add value to make sure you're prompting the right questions from the other professional. You need to be careful not to be giving advice outside of your sphere, but knowing, okay, well, has this been explored with the professional can be really helpful. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a, it, like you said, it's a tricky minefield because I know that um, sometimes you, you're exactly right. And I think it's the fear, you know, you approach somebody that's a, um, a professional of one of your clients and all of a sudden, you know, they don't want to, or they're trying to get you onto their financial planner or they, you know, like all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we're not here to argue over who's, who's owns the client, which is always a really interesting topic as well. Um, yes. You know, the, the, I guess getting over that fear of losing their client or you, you know, saying what they've yeah. done isn't great. And, and that's, I mean, that's a reasonable fear, but like you just can't live your life that way, right? Like if you just do the best service you can um, and someone chooses another financial advisor, great. At least that person's getting advised, right? Like, um, you know, you can't work with everyone. You will find people that resonate with you and you will find people that perhaps resonate with other 
professionals yeah. better and that's that's okay. Now when you're with a client and you recommend another professional or you you know you create a referral, how do you see yep. that through? Uh, very good question. Um, in terms of how, like I, I don't like to push the client to do things like to, to necessarily engage with that professional. I do like the idea that there is an element of you've got to let that professional have their own process. Um, you can facilitate it, but you don't necessarily want to be pushing these things because you want to allow it to form a natural bond, if that makes yep. sense. I don't, yep. I don't ever want my clients to feel that they need to go with the person I've suggested. Yep. Um, we don't accept referral fees or anything like that. So there's no real incentive for me to pick one professional over another. Um, but I want the client to feel in charge of that. Um, but, you know, once the client advises, yes, I'm happy with that person, um, then what we try and do is say, okay, well, can you give us authority to speak with them on your behalf, just so I can understand what they're thinking, um, understand what their strategy is and make sure it aligns to your greater goals. Yes. Okay. That's a cool, this is the cool process. So you can do the introduction, get them to go and meet each other and then go back to the client and say, if you're happy with that person. We'll, we'll continue to work with it. Yes. Yeah. I, I go out of my way to make it abundantly clear that that person that I'm suggesting, um, not necessarily recommending, but I'd say something like, I've had clients with good experiences with this person in the past. That's, I think, a very good way of saying, look, I've, I've had positive things, but if this does go wrong, um, this is an independent person and I want you to feel comfortable to, to choose someone else. Um, that's kind of the way I go about it. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Now, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on uh, with the, the last couple of minutes of conversation. Uh, the first one is you said you did a presentation. Yes. Tell me about presentations. Yes. How yes. do you do those? Are they in person? Are they in groups? They- we did an in-person presentation last night, Fraser, and it was amazing. I loved it. We <laughs> we have no, we did one earlier last year in 2020, um, and it was really popular. It, you know, but we, we ended up running two sessions, and then COVID hit, and we just weren't able to run any. And we felt confident enough to give it a go, and uh, yeah, it worked. It went really well, and um, it was a great presentation, and I really enjoyed. It. I still think there's there's room for this. I personally don't love Zoom presentations. I just don't think that people are in, particularly this late in the game, like they're just over them. Um, so I love the idea of reintroducing in-person presentations. Brilliant, brilliant. And how do you work out what you're going to say and get people along and invite people and, and get speakers or you're the speaker? Yeah, so um, I believe I, I listened to XY podcast. Uh, a little while ago, I think it was Ben Nash talking about his presentations and how he goes about it. And he said something really interesting that I've kind of applied where he's like, I, I, I'm probably butchering this, but he's, you know, he said when he first started giving presentations, he was just trying to give tons of advice, like not advice, but a lot of information. He wanted people to walk away feeling super informed. And this is kind of the way I thought about it, right? And he kind of realized that that isn't necessarily the best way to go about it. People just felt like they had too much information and they couldn't take steps. Um, So to some degree, I've kind of followed that methodology of trying to give enough that it's like, these are the things, these are the steps we go through in our head of like, here's the things we need to address, right? But without going into too much so people don't get bogged down. I think a lot of people, they're just looking for a solution and they want to know they really want to know what it is they get from financial advice. And, and a lot of people go ahead and explore themselves and that's awesome, but at least they've got a framework. And I think that's kind of where we start. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So you kept it relatively simple, but also relatively scoped down to 
stuff? Yes. Yeah. So the way we went about it, um, and, you know, we, we think of these things all the time. So it's, I think it's always good to be changing these. But, you know, the way we went about it was kind of going through, look, these are the steps we think about when giving advice to a client. And largely it's like working through your goals. So the first thing is how much does your life cost to live? And is that an appropriate number? And really drilling down on that. The second is, okay, what's coming up in the next 5, 10, 15 years? We're going to need additional money and planning for that. And the third is, what is your financial freedom goal? What is your long-term goal? And by starting with it, you know, when people think about investments, they're like, I like investment properties. That's the first thought they had. Whereas for me, I'm like, all investments can be good and can be bad. We need to start with this this what you what you want to achieve and then from there we start going through the steps of going okay well what are the pros and cons of an investment property which kind of goals do they suit um and then you know super insurance boring stuff on the on the end right yeah 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 you start getting into the the jargon yeah yeah i mean again with super and insurance it's kind of just highlighting that you know for a lot of people i think they feel silly that they don't understand it and they shouldn't. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous system. Um, it started simple and then lawyers got into it and started trying to find loopholes. And so it just got more complex and complex as time went on. Um, and now every person has to navigate a very complex system. So just highlighting it's okay to feel out of your depth um, and to engage someone or to alternatively, you, you know, you've got to do a lot of research. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And how do you get people along? Uh, okay, so we use um, Eventbrite um to, to sort of thing and surprisingly we get um some attendees through their organic search i actually find that people do search event bright for events which just surprises me wildly um we have a very detailed um email list that we use we do a newsletter every month and have since we we begun so every person we come across every person we see or you know potential client goes on that list and we've been building it out for years and years so we can promote through that we also have our like Instagram, Facebook that we were always promoting. So uh, we have a, a reasonable reach that we can use to, to sort of push these things. And do, are they free or do you charge for them? Uh, so, so we did this one for free. Um, in the past, we've charged really small amounts to try to like promote um, attendance, really. If someone pays $10, they tend to show up for things. Yep. Um, yep. But surprisingly, we, we've done a few free ones now and the dropout rates have been very low. Um, there's actually been a lot of attendance. So we're just finding free seems to work. And that could be a, um, the fact that people haven't been able to get out very much recently. Yeah, people are pretty excited about being in a room full of people and <laughs> doing something a bit different, right? Yes, I was having this conversation with someone recently about the next financial advice conference that's actually in person uh, might be fairly well attended. I had a um, I had a person that attended yesterday, and I do ask them where they came from, like where where how they heard about it, right? And she said that she'd taken over a job from another person. And she was receiving the emails of that previous person and that the previous person had attended a previous event. So she was getting the emails from that and she came along. So you never know where these people are going to pop up. <laughs> That's brilliant. I like it. Um, and so just finally on the presentation, uh, you ran it at night and how long for? Uh, so we ran it for, it was a little bit over an hour. So it was meant to be an hour, but we sort of went a bit over. We started at 6 p.m. It tends to be a good time, not too early, not too late. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no real magic to this. Excellent. And just in a shared space somewhere and food and wine or anything like that. Yeah. So, so in our office, we, um, we have our own private office, but we're in one of those sort of shared workplace sort of situations. So we've got a big giant boardroom that we can use for these events. Um, 
we can provide all our own food and alcohol and whatnot. So it's a relatively low cost exercise. Um, and it's great. You know, it's great to get that feedback from a lot of people about your language and what's working for you and what's not. Um, but yeah, we tend to we tend to get the odd client out of it, so it works really well. Yeah, awesome. And what sort of number is a good number to get in? Uh, okay, so we had we were trying to aim for forty five, uh, with the idea that sort of five to ten is going to drop off. Um, that sort of suits the room that we have. Like, it really depends on how big your room is, how big, like, how many people you think can attend. Um, I think there's safety in numbers. If you have too few people, um, some people may be a little bit concerned. Um, we also do a couple of things to make people feel comfortable. So the first is um, we make it abundantly clear at the start that, you know, we're not going to ask them to just talk about any of their financial situation or anything like that. We may ask questions, but they're not, they're never expected to everyone stand up and tell me exactly how much money you have or how much you earn. Like that's not happening. There's no pecking um, order. Yeah. Yeah. And we're very open with, you know, make it really clear what we're going to talk about, but very open with our own personal lives I, I, like even the way i provide financial advice i'm very open with my own personal financial journey um and i think that comforts people yeah that comes across on the podcast as well you guys talk about your own situation a lot yeah um now i've, I've noticed you, you said a couple of phrases um like uh you know the life's cost the cost of life a life cost to live um and yes. navigating life's big um transitions you've obviously got some ways of presenting what you do that has nothing to do with you know jargon how do you come up with these names and and you know what what goes into it yes yeah great question um we do have set language we use like there's different bits of language we use largely we are huge consumers of podcasts financial advice podcasts and so a lot of these concepts have actually come from other great financial advisors that we think really add a ton of value um, you know, like I've, I've read all the, you know, the barefoot investor and whatnot. Um, it can be a little challenging as a financial advisor reading these things because you're like, you're not necessarily learning anything new, but if you think deeply about what language are they using, why is this resonating? Um, you know, the barefoot investor, for example, I think the brilliance in that book is the stories. He tells a story and that's what resonates with people. And just thinking about what, why are people enjoying this? Why is this resonating with them? And what do you want to engage with? Um, there's an American called uh, Ramit Sethi. Um, I don't know if you ever come across him at all. No, I um, he, He's got a book, um, I Can Teach You to Be Rich, I think it's called. Um, he wrote it years ago and he hates the title. That's um, probably I, why I, I wouldn't heard, read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard about him through Tim Ferriss. Um, and he actually, the reason we went to that FinCon event, well, for a number of reasons, but he was headlining and he was a, a thing. And he's got some great stuff. Like one thing he talks about is spend extravagantly on the things that bring you joy and cut mercilessly on the things that don't. And he's kind of got this concept of, it's not just about reducing how much you spend. It's about increasing how much you spend on the areas that you really love, like having a reason to do that. And we've really incorporated that into the way we think about things. Um, so credit to him. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, you know, like I talk to my clients about this money's meant to be spent. And so a financial advisor shouldn't only be talking about saving money. They should be talking about spending it and how we're going to spend it. Yeah, exactly right. I love, I love, that's fantastic tips. You know, listen out to other people in the industry and other podcasts and um, and listen out for those language things, not necessarily learning about strategy or product, but learning, you know, the language that they use with the consumer. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's almost expected as a financial advisor. Oh, you should always be trying to learn about strategies and whatnot, but you should just know those things, right? Language is what makes us unique and different. Yes. One, one of the things that I've been um, talking about lately is the, the, the language that we use around 
fees and the word fees that we use, you know, fee for service, which was a terrible, terrible thing to, to say because service, obviously, you can get, you know, at a fast food restaurant for under 10 bucks. Um, yes. And, uh, and then, then we sort of changed that language to fee for advice. But again, when we think about that, you know, advice is a small part. Um, and then uh, recently I came across the concept of um, professional costs instead of fees. Yeah, okay. And presenting That's- what you do and how you do it and the value of that as your professional costs. I do like that better. That's good. Yeah, and just you know, the, the one I really hate are uh, your best interests. Hate it. Hate it. Um, <laughs> I, like it's well known in the advertising world that if you sort of bring these things up, like you know, like um, I used to work for a super fund, and a lot of our advertising guys would talk about um, if you say it's safe, your super is safe. Pe- immediately, people think it's not safe. I have a concern here sort of thing. Like it's almost like it's expected that it's safe, right? So the moment you bring that up, it brings risk. And for your best interest, I'm like, I feel like consumers expect that. So if we're bringing it up, like, don't worry, we act in your best interest. The first thing they think is, are you not acting in my best interest? (laughs) Or you haven't been in the past? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. I I feel that way when people talk about their efficiencies. I'm thinking, well, that means all these fees I was paying you in the past – you haven't been efficient. (laughs) (laughs) And it means different things to different people. You can beat yourself up. I mean, I say like one thing we we talk about, like we've got our budget calculator. I mean, we've been talking about budgets all the time. And I'm like, I need to move away from this language, like cash flow plan. That's, that's what we've got to talk about. Same thing, but. (laughs) Spending plan. Plan out your spending. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Language is a funny thing. I, I, I can spend all day on that one. Um, Fantastic. So, one of the other things I wanted to chat to you about was um, scaled advice. I know yes. a bit of a move from language, but you know there there is uh, a lot going on in that space at the moment. It's a bit of a hot topic around the, the with the regulators trying to work out you know the scaled advice. What what are your yes. what are your thoughts? I think deeply about scaled advice quite a lot. Um, you know, you, you've highlighted before. Uh, financial advice is a premium service and it's only being accessed by 10 or 15%, yet everyone needs to participate. Um, so scaled advice seems like the obvious solution, right? Like it seems like the thing, it's like, well, if we can just tailor it to the exact thing they need, then we can price it appropriately and they can receive that service. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of criticisms about SOAs and, and whatnot, not allowing for scaled advice. And there's, there's I think that's reasonable as well as unread, like there's different things. Um, but I think some of the issues with scale and advice don't necessarily relate to the regulatory framework, but more around how human beings think. Um, my experience with scale and advice has never been positive um, in that most people think they know what their concerns are, but the more you unpick these things, the more you discover, look, that's not your, con- like you may say, like your concern may be, okay, well, is my super invested correctly? Um, and, you know, that seems like an easy one that you could scale down. Okay, well, here's what you need to do. But a small amount of research is nearly going to get you get you there, right? Like for a lot of people that are, you know, younger, it's like moving into a more high growth strategy can tend to make sense for them. Um, but that's never the real issue. It's do I have enough for retirement? Should I spend my money now? You know, like, am I even going to retire? Like a lot of people really... They, they, they struggle to see that it's even a path for them. So it's very hard to provide scaled advice, and I don't think it's the regulator's fault. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a lot in the way here. Um, I actually, you know, like some, some of what you were just saying then resonated with me, but it was sort of also around the fact that 
at the small part of the end, we're doing the advice where we might be scaling. You can scale for for a, s- a specific strategy area. You can scale yeah. for time. And the word scale to me also means not just scale down, but scale up too. So, so that's a really interesting part of it when you can say, well, I'm providing advice at scale. But yeah. that's a different conversation. Um, but just this, just on this idea of, you know, like, humans often get overwhelmed if you put too much information into yeah. you know like well i want you to make a decision on this thing so i'm going to give you so much information that you're overwhelmed and you make no decision um so how do we how do we balance the scale advice with saying well we, we actually do all these things but this month we'll do this one and then come back next month we'll do that one or whatever you know because it's kind of like i feel like the scale advice been put into one bucket where it probably should be spread over many yeah and you know, i guess you made a really good point before where you talked about like it's a very small portion. The strategy part is this very small portion. It's like the goals and all those discussions of fears and whatnot. Like that's the big part. And how do you scale that down? Like that's the, like you can scale, oh, I'm only doing super. But when you're having these conversations, it's like, well, it's all interrelated. Um, it's a challenge. I, I'm not really sure how to how to fix this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the next step is the, is, is the reverse of that of, you know, advice at scale. <laughs> How do yeah. we get to more like you did with your uh, with your event? You know, how do you get to you know help people at scale versus just um, being told that we're only allowed to talk to one person at a time? Yeah, yeah, and and like the idea of general advice versus personal advice, like it's so blurry between the two. You know, like if you are talking to a room, you know, it's, it's likely you won't stray into personal advice because you know you're not doing individual one on one. But if that room gets smaller suddenly you're like, okay, well, this is an older room. I might talk about this strategy being more likely for older people. or for, And suddenly it's yeah. like, is this personal advice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is a line. Hey, um, yeah. tell us about what you got planned this year. What's uh, what's the you know 2021 look like for you guys and, and are you developing anything special? So um, we had a lot of plans for 2020 that didn't really uh, launch off. So 2021 is kind of just a re- reboot of 2020 and all my plans for that. Um, hopefully my, my plan is to avoid getting COVID, which would be really nice. Essentially, it's, it's still the same path. It's, it's, it's grow the business. Um, you know, I still have capacity to take on clients. I'm still always looking for clients. Um, keep delivering a high level of service. Find better ways to... Uh, connect with our existing clients and improve the service and improve their outcomes. Um, yeah, same old, same old. Well, fantastic. Well, Ben, thanks for coming and hanging out and having a, a yarn with me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, if someone wants to continue the conversation with you directly, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Yes. Yeah, so um, feel free to email me, ben at bouncefinancial.com.au. Um, our website is obviously bouncefinancial.com.au. So if you want to have a little look or drop an inquiry, please do so. Um, I use a lot of LinkedIn as well. Um, so Ben Brett on LinkedIn, uh, feel free to send me a message or follow my stuff and uh, we can connect. Yeah, and check out, uh, check out Ben Ankara's podcast. Um, yeah, so Money Chats with Bounce Financial. Wonderful. And if you've got, uh, if you've got any of your own opinions uh, and you want to chuck them into the um, uh, into the conversation, jump on the uh, XY app and uh, you know start commenting and, uh, and we'll hopefully be able to join the conversation with you. Ben, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack and I'm joined here by Emily. G'day. 
Hello, Fraser. <laughs> now it's time for another shout out. Uh, who have you got in mind? I want to give a shout out to XY legend Antoinette Mullins. Not only has she just come back from maternity leave, having beautiful little bub number two, but she's shared a couple of great posts on the platform talking about how she's really taken on the resources and the discussions and the content, both from the free uh, general platform as well as XY+. Plus has really implemented that into her business and has nailed her onboarding process. Uh, her ability to um, can, um, bring people into her business, deliver the value, articulate that value and create a phenomenal onboarding experience and then get some sensational reviews is awesome. So just massive shout out to you, Antoinette. You're doing amazing work and your clients really, or I'm sure, really appreciate having you in their corner. Wow, another amazing story. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast uh, and you want to give us us a bit of a shout out, then we'd love it if you could jump on to the uh, the iTunes app or wherever you're listening to your podcast and give us a bit of a review and a bit of a shout out. So uh, we look forward to catching you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.